If I asked one of you or all of you to come up on the stage this morning and I sat before you a, a very heavy steel chair that was bolted together and is welded together and, uh, and, and I told you it supports uh, at least a thousand pounds and it's stamped right there on the chair um, and I asked you, do you believe that that chair would hold you up? Probably you'd maybe check it out. Feel, yeah, I, I believe that will hold me up. Um, are you sure? You think, it, yes, I, I believe it will, it will support my weight. And then say, well, but is it supporting you now? Like, well, no, I'm standing here. I'm not sitting in the chair. I'm like, well, you look really weary and tired and worn out. Why don't you just sit down in the chair? Oh, I, you know, I know it will support my weight, but you know, I'm good. I'm just going to stand here. Are you sure? You're really wiped. Yeah, I do need to sit down, but you know what? Uh, no, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to wait longer before I sit down in that chair. But I do believe that that chair can uh, hold my weight and support me. Uh, instead, what the right thing would be is to say, well, I have belief or faith that that chair will hold me, and I'm going to sit down in it so that it would uh, support me. This morning, what we look at in James is faith. Faith and works. What is true faith? What is false faith? For you to ask the question, do I have true faith this morning? Am I saved by that? Or do I have a false uh, faith um, that I am deceiving myself? Some questions for you to ask this morning is, what is true saving faith? What makes faith real? Can I actually be assured that my faith is true and real? Do you have faith in Jesus Christ? Do you do good works? What's the relationship between faith and good works? Some of you have read this passage before. You may say, well, is James in conflict with the Apostle Paul? Faith and works? Wait, I thought it was faith alone and Christ alone. Some of you may be asking the question, this morning, if the good works I do, are they good enough to get me into heaven? And some of you actually may believe that that is true. As we look at James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26 this morning, the scriptural truth is this, justification is by faith alone in Christ alone and not by a faith that is alone. Look with me at James chapter 2. I'll be reading verses 14 through 26 this morning. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. 
You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body, apart from the spirit, is dead, so also faith, apart from works, is dead. The Word of God. And again, we can give thanks that we have the Word of God. To not just read, but even a passage that's debated by people that may seem hard to understand that the Holy Spirit can give you and I understanding this morning. Amen? Because we come to gather for the worship of the Lord, for the reading and the preaching of the Word, and our desire's heart should be that the Holy Spirit would open our eyes and give us understanding. If you're following along this morning, the points that we look at this morning is we'll break it down this way. The first point is faith that lacks evidence is dead. The second is faith is not a checklist of beliefs. The third is faith that is true is proved by obedience. And the fourth is faith that is living is revealed by works. So let's look at verses 14 through 17. Faith that lacks evidence is dead. And James says this in verse 14, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that, save, can that faith save him? And so he begins with the person who claims to believe in God. The person who says, I have faith in God is where he starts. And so we then have to ask the question, what is faith? Because there's some issues that he points out, some problems, if you would say, in how you look at this text. This week, uh, the men's group that uh, uh, on Thursday morning, we have a study. We were looking at Hebrews chapter 11. Wonderful chapter for you to read this week about faith and what the Word of God teaches us about faith and people who had faith. Hebrews 11, 1 says, here's the definition. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. This descriptor of faith being something that we accept or believe specifically in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it's true that we believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross in our place for our sins. We believe that Jesus Christ was placed in the tomb, and on the third day he rose from death to life. That is, in a a short summary, the gospel of Jesus, and the person who has faith in Jesus Christ believes that as true and as fact. But James asks an interesting, interesting question. Do you see it there in verse 14? How can faith without works save them? Now, understand this, James is not directing attention away from the importance of faith. He is arguing, though, that if you have saving faith, if you have true faith, that it will always also include good works. So true faith is is belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's proven by works. That's a summary of everything that he says that we just read. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says this, You will recognize them by their fruits. He says, Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. And so going with what James is teaching, also what we see the Apostle Paul teaching is that faith accompanies good works. And so this is that picture of a fruitful tree. That if you have faith in Jesus Christ, if you have true faith, saving faith, that you are a tree that produces fruit. 
you are not a dead tree. The one who has a false faith or a deceptive faith that this false belief will not bear fruit. And it's as simple as day in the sense the way Jesus says it. If you look at verse 15 in our text here, James illustrates the person who has faith with the person that ha- and ha- ha- but no works. Thinking about this, if you speak words of compassion to someone and you, you, you pour over them loving words, but if there is nothing of action that follows to back that up, all it is is senseless words. They're not worth anything. You could tell someone how much you love them, but if you never serve them, if you never show them that love in a tangible way, acting towards them, it's just words. Some of you know what I mean. You've been hurt by words of love and compassion, and then you wanted to see it in that person's life towards you, and you never saw it. And so you're like the hypocrite. The person really didn't mean what they said. I'm sure that many of us know that. James says in verse 15, he gives an example. Maybe some of you have been faced with this before. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed, be filled, brother, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Maybe you've seen that before. Maybe you've fallen to that before. Again, he's like the person's coming to you and their clothing is, is, is you know, they're, they're, they're here in the Montana winter and they've got, they've got a little tiny uh, 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 rain jacket on and they need a snow jacket and they're like, hey, do you have a jacket or can you help me get one? You're like, hey, you know what? You need to know that God provides. I'm going to pray that God provides for you and you got tons of jackets in your, your, your closet. I'm going to pray that God shows you that he provides. Let me pray for you, and you send them on your way. He's like, wait a minute. All it is is, is senseless words. You're not showing the love of God. And if you go back to James chapter 1, where we were a few weeks ago, he said to be a hearer of the word and a what? A doer. Remember that? He says, don't just hear the word of God, but there must be action that follows. You're to do, to be obedient. And we saw that God says, if you love me, you will what? Obey me. And so there's a, almost a sense, this line drawn in the sand, that we're called to do these things. And, you know, I, I, since I've had this cast on and had problems the last few months, this arm's kind of a little weaker now. And I look and I'm like, is the muscle shrinking at all, you know? And I, I, I've told my kids, I'm like, you know what? I'd love to be pumped one day, you know? I'd love to have some good, strong muscles. And, you know, I know if I want to do that, I need to exercise, right? And so I'm going to make a list. I'm going to get the app for my phone that's got all the exercise. You know what? I'm going to call a trainer and have them come in. Maybe I'll get a gym membership, get the right equipment, make sure I got the nice sweat band and, you know, arm bands, you know, and I'm ready. I'm, I'm so excited because, you know what? By the end of the summer, I'm going to have some 20-inch guns, and I'm going to be so excited for that, you know? I mean, things I dream about or something. But if I then... Well, I'm waiting until the 19th. I'll get my cast off. Ah, I've got three to six months of therapy. After that, I'll start. Oh, but I want to get pumped, you know. It's like, then three to six months go by. I'm just sitting around eating whatever, doing nothing or whatever. It's like all I am is just talk. There's nothing that goes with that. How am I? Yeah, I believe that I'm going to get pumped if I just do these things. But there's also the action that must follow 
The same is if you say that you love your brother or sister in Christ and you do nothing to show that, all it is is senseless words. The same thing as James says, you profess faith and there's no works, then there's no evidence. And I would say that over the last 20-something years in ministry, seen numbers of people at church services, at uh, um, events, you know, where people gather and someone's speaking and sharing the gospel, at youth events, at youth camps. I've literally probably seen thousands of people raise their hand and say, I believe in Jesus Christ. Go forward at something. But yet you see them go back to their life, and years later there's nothing that accompanies the fact that they made a statement of faith. This is what James says, you can say all day long you believe in Jesus, but there must be fruit in your life. And it's also, as we'll look at here, a process, so there's maturity that comes with that. But the evidence of real faith is works, is what James teaches. Turn to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25 speaks of the final day of judgment when Jesus Christ returns and he sits on his throne and all of mankind is before him. He says he separates the sheep from the goats, the sheep on his right, the goats on his left. And as he gathers them, it says he opens up the book and it has their names. Some of the verses here I'll read to you. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. He says to those on his right in verse uh, 34, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. He goes on, and they say, Well, you know, he said, These things that you did for me. And they're like, When did we see you? He says, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. When you fed that person, when you went to the prison, when you did this, when you gave them that, you were blessing me, you were doing these things to serve me. And then he turns to the people on his left. It says in verse 41, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. And look at verse 44. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to the one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. These are serious things that Jesus teaches. Another parable, he talks about people who come to him on that day and say, Lord, Lord. He's like, I don't know you. Depart from me. I never knew you. And so what James does is if you look at verse 17 in each of these portions, he makes four summary statements today in this text. First one's in verse 17. He says, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. That's what Jesus was teaching that parable, that those who are saved, those who enter into the kingdom of heaven are with him in this, this inheritance of being with Jesus forever, have not only believed, but he's like, hey, you did it to the least of these. There's faith, and this work proved your faith in me, he says, enter into my kingdom. The problem is this, is some of us, or many people in this world, think 
that salvation is a checklist on a clipboard. And they think you can just go down the list. Feed the poor and clothe them. Check. I did that last week. The guy standing on the corner, I bought him dinner. Go to church. Hey, I made it. Pray. Okay, I prayed three times this week. I get a couple extra checks for that one. Uh, Give, serve, give money, time, talents. Okay, uh, I got a half a check on that. Go to a Bible study. Ah, I got that one. I went to the small group this week. I made it. Check, big check on that. Mission trips, I'm planning to do that one day. I'll, I'll leave that blank right now. Volunteer in children's and youth group, you get like 30 checks. It's like that was the most glorious one. And that's the problem, though, especially if you have grown up in a church setting. Because in your mind, so many churches in this world teach that you've got to do the checklist so God's pleased with you. And I'll tell you this, if you are a follower of Christ, he's pleased with you because he's made you his own and he's adopted you as his child. So you can't do anything extra to make him love you more than what Christ did on the cross. So the checklist can be quite a stumbling block when you think of faith and works. And the second point is verse 18 through 20. Faith is not a checklist of beliefs. He says in verse 18, James writes, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. The person who says, well, I know you believe in Jesus Christ and that is great for you. I don't necessarily believe in Jesus, but you know what? I have done a lot of good things, and I know that God would be pleased with me. So I know you may get in through believing in Jesus, but I'm going to get in through these good works because why would God turn me down? I've served all kinds of people in my life. And know this, that when you read this in James, if you look at verse 18, James is in no way saying that good works can gain anyone's salvation. So if you believe that lie that the enemy has laid out there, that Satan's taught you the world is, that you can do certain things so that God saves you, you're believing a lie. And the reason we gather here is to read the truth of God's word and to preach the truth so you would know that you cannot be saved by any good work you do. It would be beneficial for you to read 1 Peter chapter 1 this week. Uh, Sunday evenings, 5 o'clock, we're going through 1 Peter. Tonight, our brother Chobay, he's going to be teaching tonight. And as we go through 1 Peter um, in chapter 1, he writes that the only possible evidence of true saving faith is works that accompany it with. James writes, though, in verse 18, Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So again, you can't have the checklist of things to get you in heaven, even if they're all right things that the Bible says. And the reason why is because James says Satan and the demons, they believe the truth about God, but they're not saved. So you could have your checklist. You could be like, okay, Jesus, this about his life, all these things. Yeah, he walked the earth. Yeah, all these things. And yet still not have true saving faith. Look at verse 19. You believe that God is one? I mean, how many people in this world that you know are not Christians, they believe, say they believe in God? You believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. You see, 
Satan and the demons have correct doctrine. They know who God is. They have seen him. And they know what God has done. They know Christ. They know the gospel. And yet they hate God. And they're going to spend eternity in the lake of fire. They're going to be in hell, which was created for Satan and the angels, as well as every single person who rejects Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so, know this. Many people saying, I'm a Christian, sit in churches all over, and they may have correct doctrine and believe that just because they have things correct in their mind that they're saved. James warns of this. And so again, you also have to guard against, just give me the checklist, I don't want to go to hell. Just tell me what to do, because I don't want to be there, separated from God forever. Again, many say they believe, but there's no fruit or works that follow Jesus speaks of a parable of a, of a farmer, and he talks about four different soils and the seed that's cast. And three of the soils, he talks about the first one, a hard ground. The uh, birds come and take it away, and it's the person who's just hard, hardened heart towards the Lord. They don't believe anything. Rejection says Satan takes them away. He talks about the soil with the rock bed underneath, and so the seed plants, the roots kind of go down, but they hit the rocks. They grow up. The sun withers away. It says they don't produce fruit. The next one falls in the soil with the thorns, and it grows up. The thorns grow up. Things of the world choke them out. No fruit production. It's only the fourth one, the last soil, the good soil, which says it produces a huge crop, and it goes right in line with all of Scripture that is the person, the seed that falls in the good soil that produces the fruit, the evidence of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So look at the summary statement in verse 20 of this second point that James writes. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? The foolish person there means the empty or deceived person. The person is void of any truth. The person who's professing belief without doing any good works. Um, really, James says it's a fake Christian, and their faith is bogus. And again, be clear, because we're going to see this here. He's not talking about two methods or ways of salvation. James is not arguing that faith is against works. He's not arguing works versus faith or faith versus works. He's displaying the difference between living and saving and true faith and dead false faith. Those who are deceived. Turn to 1 John chapter 3. The, the, the book of 1 John is a book, it's a letter, that if you want to know assurance of faith, it tells you there. I mean, over the years, I've had people say, how do I know for sure? We'll read 1 John. They're like, it says how I am assured of my faith? Yes, it does. number of passages. I'll read one of them to you here. 1 John chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. John writes, little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Verse 10, 
By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Clear from Scripture who has saving faith and who doesn't. And I would pray that it's your utmost importance in your life to know the difference between the two. And that even as you read these things like in 1 John, that Scripture is clear how you are saved. And that's through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Next, what James does is he goes on, look at verses 21 through 24. The third point, faith that is true is proved by obedience. He goes back to Abraham. Father Abraham, read Genesis chapter 12 and chapter 15 this week. Because what you see is the same thing that James describes, which Paul describes in in, uh, Romans chapter 4 and 5, this whole thing about justification, about salvation, and he speaks of Abraham, and he gives the example of Abraham. Abraham, the man of faith, and and says Abraham, and so let's see here in verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar, and you say, whoa, wait a minute. Did you catch that there? Did you read that? Yes or no? You see that? Was not Abraham our father justified by what? Works? Wait, James, where are you going with this? Because Paul says the opposite. Well, you may think that when you read this. Again, always read context when you read like the book of James here, don't read just chapter, verse 24 of chapter 2 because then you will believe that works will save you. The Catholic Church teaches that. They've built their doctrine on that. Verse 24. And so don't start off your mornings like this. Oh Lord, direct me to the right verse today. And he went into the cave to relieve himself. Yeah, that's Scripture. That's the Word of God. But do you see? And then, oh, I'm going out on my day. No, read the context. That's why we preach through and teach through books of the Bible. So you don't come up with some false doctrine and false belief that you are just led astray. You need to read the Word of God. Don't just read or just listen to me preach or whoever teach and just go, okay, I'll just accept it. Read the Word of God. If you cannot read, find something to listen to because we have tons of technology where you can just listen to the Word of God. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? If you don't know the story of Abraham, God promised Abraham and Sarah in their old age at 100 years old, he said, hey, you're going to have your own son And they tried to circumvent that and had a child through another woman. But God's like, look, you're going to have a son. Sarah laughed about it. And God was faithful. And Isaac was born. And Isaac is growing up. And God tells Abraham, go to the mountain that I send you to. Take your son Isaac, whom you love, and sacrifice him to me. And sacrifice, like slaughter your son. He grabs his son, grabs his servants, grabs the wood, grabs the fire, they're going. Him and his son Isaac going up the hill. Isaac's like, Father, you know, we've got the wood here and, and, and which the son's carrying. And Isaac's like, hey, we've got the fire, but, you know, where is the sacrifice? He's like, the Lord will provide. He had faith that God would provide. 
Even if his son was slaughtered, he had faith that God would raise his son back to life. And so they go up on the hill, and I mean, can you imagine tying up your son and laying him on an altar and raising a knife to slaughter your son? And God says, hold on, Abraham. What you're doing has shown that you have faith. It's evi- your faith is evidence in your obedience. And God provided a ram, and Isaac lived, and um, what a wonderful, wonderful story of Abraham. But look at verse 21. It says, justified. Now, when you read the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 4 and chapter 5, actually turn to Galatians chapter 2. While you're turning there, the Apostle Paul, when he speaks of this word justify or justified, when you read these texts, specifically something we looked at many times, it means a legal declaration by God that a person in Christ is right before him. Because the person who has faith in Christ is given the righteousness of Christ. So when God looks at his sons and daughters, he's like, not a guilty sinner, an innocent child of mine. Wonderful, glorious news. Paul says this in chapter 2 of Galatians, verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because the works of the law, no one will be justified. Clear as day. And then you read James, he says, justify, the father Abraham is justified, and specifically it means there to demonstrate or show forth or give evidence of the faith by taking his son and doing that, that he was already, when you read, declared righteous by God because of his faith in God. But Abraham's obedience to sacrifice his son did not give him any right standing before God. It was his faith that did And so look at verse 22 of James chapter 2. You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. One thing to understand about James and the Apostle Paul, when you read the book of Romans, he has laid out an order of salvation. From chapter 1 all the way until the end of the book, you can read through how a person is saved. James is writing to Christians already, people who have been saved by faith, and he's pointing out. So if you're a follower of Christ in here, it's like, yes, I want to read Romans and just just glory in the fact of how God saves me from my sin. But then I go to James, and I want to read this and know like, oh, there's to be good works that follow. I need to be doing these good works in my life. And we already saw in James chapter 1, if you read back in in chapter 1, that uh, as James is is leading here in chapter 2, he's already taught us salvation is a gift of God. Father of lights. All those good and perfect gifts, they come from him. To be first fruits there, it's it's in chapter 1, verse 17 and 18. And Paul teaches in Romans and Galatians, we're justified by grace alone, through faith alone in Jesus Christ. But look at verse 22 there. Again, you may think this is contradictory at first. 
But when you read verse 22, you see that faith was active along with his works, talking about Abraham, and faith was completed by his works. I want you to think about the word maturity. That as a believer, a follower of Christ, your faith matures. Second Peter chapter 1 says, add to your faith these things. You are to grow in your faith in Christ, to trust him more as you go through all the trouble of this world and all the waves that crash about you and all the trouble and the losses. You are to turn to Christ, to run to Christ, to rest on Christ. And he is the one that then, as you are trusting him, he builds your faith in him, this maturity that grows when we were in Southern California, we planted a pink lemonade tree. You might say, that's crazy. No, there's a pink lemonade tree. Look it up. It's yellow with some green stripes on it. And when you cut it open, it's pink inside. And it makes wonderful lemonade. So we planted this little tiny tree. No lemons on it. We're like, okay, it takes a year. I grew up with my grandfather growing oranges. It takes a while. A year later, I think we only had like one or two, maybe three lemons we squeezed everything out of those to make some wonderful lemonade. But then a year later, I mean, that thing just exploded. I mean, we had all kinds of lemons. And then the third year, we're getting ready to move here that month, and we're looking at this tree, which is not ripe yet. We're like, oh, the pink lemonade tree. I mean, just glorious fruit all over. And that's the picture. As you trust the Lord more with aspects of your life, you will mature in your faith. And those things that when you were younger in the faith, which would just take you out and lay you down on the sideline, doesn't do that anymore because you've seen God be faithful in your life. And so then there's another trial. And you trust Him. And you pray. And you read the Word. And you gather with the body of Christ. You ask them to pray so that your faith would be built in Christ. But again, what they're clear about, both James and Paul, is that faith will produce fruit. Look at verse 23. He quotes Genesis chapter 15. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. Do you see that? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as as righteousness. That didn't come after he sacrificed his son. This is declaration before he was obedient. And so he's saved by his faith and his belief. And he was counted to him as righteousness. And then if you look at verse 24, if you would have skipped verse 23, and again, as I said, you read 24, then you could build up a foundation like the Catholic Church saying that I do works and I'm saved. Verse 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Church, do you see how, twist, how Scripture gets twisted? Do you see how easy it is for the world to read something in the, in the Word of God and not look at all of Scripture, which is the best commentary on itself, and to, and, and to see like, oh, if I just take that. I'm, and people literally build their own beliefs and doctrines, and they're fools, as James says. They deceive themselves, and some deceive many others. So read the Word of God and read all of it. If you took verse 24 that way, again, some of you were raised, maybe not in Catholic church, but maybe in a Christian church. Some of you were raised that your faith and your good works equal salvation. You might say, well, I don't believe that now, but maybe you believe that at one point. Maybe you've never been in the church, and this is something that you believe, that, well, I've got to believe in God, and I've got to do these works. 
and James and Paul completely complement each other because it's God's words and not man's word. And it says this summed up in what Paul writes to the church in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. And we go to this verse so many times. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I mean, imagine if verse 10 was not there. We would then easily add in works to this stuff. We may get distracted, but it says we're saved by faith. It's a gift of God by nothing that you can do. And by the way, once you're saved, it's for you to do good works. I know that I'm hammering this over and over and over again. But again, I believe that so many Christians struggle with the fact that they're going to get more favor with God if they do more right things. You are called to be obedient. You are called to do good works. You are called to love God and love others. But those good works will not grant you any greater favor with God. So rest in the favor and the grace of God and His love for His people, His blood shed on the cross for you. Rest in that and know that the Holy Spirit will sanctify you and continue to sanctify you and cause you to walk in the right ways. And you're going to hate sin more and more and love to do good works and glorify God. And He gets all the glory. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. The last point is a story about Rahab, a Canaanite, and you can read in Joshua chapter 2 and Joshua chapter 6 about Rahab. And what this point in verse, or the fourth point is that faith that is living is revealed by works. Look at verse 25. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works? when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. Again, if you just read that and didn't know the story, you'd think, okay, she did these things and she's justified. It says nothing about that faith in that sense. Rahab is listed in the genealogy of Christ in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. When you read about this prostitute, the spies of Israel that come into the city there, she hides them, protects them from the guys in town trying to get them. She helps them get out of there. And uh, she says, you know what? Hey, we have heard of your mighty God, all the things that he's done. We've heard these things. She believed what she heard about God. And then you see that that faith that she had is being acted out about how she protected them. And God spared her and everyone that was in her house when those walls fell down in that city. But she demonstrated her trust for God and her faith in God that saved her when she protected Israel's spies. And James sums it all this up in verse 26. For as the body, apart from the spirit, is dead. So when you and I die, we know that Hebrews teaches us that the believer's soul goes immediately to Christ in heaven and the soul is perfected in holiness the body goes into the ground and the promise as Romans says is that one day the believer will will have a glorified body your body will be raised from the dust and you'll be given a new glorified body a perfect holy soul and you'll be with the Lord forever what's clear though he says as the body Apart from the Spirit is dead, so also faith. 
apart from works is dead. And therefore, the summary is where we go back to we began with. Justification is by faith alone, in Christ alone, and not by a faith that is alone. If you in your life have just said, hey, yeah, I believe in Jesus, and there's no fruit from your life, I would say you need to read the Word and what James says, that there should be fruit that's evidence of living true faith in your life. Because true faith always results in good works. And those good works will mature, the fruit will mature as you are being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So here's a question for you. Number one is, how is your living faith evidenced by your works in love and mercy for others? If you're a Christian brother, sister in Christ in the room, examine your heart this morning. How are those good works being manifested in your life? Are you praying that the Holy Spirit would help you grow in that and to serve and love one another more in tangible ways in the way the Word of God tells us to do that? And if you're not a follower of Christ and you came in this place, you're invited, you're just checking things out, maybe you said, hey, I believe in Jesus, but I really don't have any good works, I would beg with you and plead with you to turn to Christ, to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is simply this. You are a sinner. You have broken God's law, and your sin leads to eternal death. And the only way that you can be saved from eternal death is by the grace of God through His Son, Jesus Christ, who came and was born fully God, became fully man. He never gave up His divinity. He went to the cross. He died on the cross. He went through, yes, the nails in His hand. He was beaten. He was mocked and all those things. But the worst thing that He went through in that punishment is God the Father poured out His wrath on His Son that is meant for you, that He will pour out on everyone who is in hell for all eternity. And Jesus Christ bled, and He died there in your place for your sins. He was taken off the cross. He was placed in the tomb. And to the glory of God, God the Father raised the Son from death to life. And we celebrate that daily, not just in two weeks on Easter, that Jesus Christ is risen. And He is returning. And the Word of God is clear. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead and you will be saved. As the worship team comes forward and we prepare to take... Uh, the Lord's Supper together. I'll read to you this from Romans chapter 4. It says this in verse 20. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. Spe- speaking of Abraham, he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in Him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. I could tell you if you are someone who's heard the gospel and today that you are believing in Christ as Lord and Savior, I could lead you through a prayer. I could tell you, hey Lord, 
please forgive me. I acknowledge I'm a sinner. I repent of my sins today. Holy Spirit, come into my life. Save me. I could give you all kinds of words, but those words don't save you. It comes to the heart work, the transforming work that God has done in your heart. And I would say, believe in Him and trust in Him who is faithful. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you don't give us a checklist of things to get into heaven. Thank you that you don't give us a list of do's and don'ts so that we find favor with you. We praise you, Jesus, that what you've done to serve us, to give your life for us, is just astounding. It's something that words we can't even describe. And so we say thank you. We praise you. We say thank you for taking my place on the cross. Thank you for making a way to forgive me of my sins. Father, I pray that in this moment as we take bread and cup together, as we do what you've told believers to do, that we would remember, we would rejoice, and we would look forward to the day that we're with you. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.